I'm really excited. I was saying in the update, I'm really excited. Uh, excited's too strong. Let's yeah, just hey, peg it back a bit, Graham. I have a great sense of anticipation this morning, and actually for tonight, I'll talk about that a bit in a moment. Um, but for the message uh, that I want to bring this morning, that I think I, I, I'm hopeful, I'm prayerfully hopeful, that it will not only, I guess, give you a little uh, a more insight into Cornerstone and where we're at and maybe some of the things that Josh was talking about in, in how we're shaping and leading, how we feel right to shape and lead the church in this season. I want to uh, do that, but even more so to actually put on the table here. I'm going to do a bit of theology in front of you all, which is always great in a church that's usually full of two or three PhD students and lecturers. But I'm going to do some theology in front of you all. I actually ran this past Josh. Um, uh, I've been used to... I feel like I've got a PhD in being able to read the Newington Heavy Silence. Do you know what I'm talking about? Most of my ministry career has been on the other side of a table of a Newington. Uh, and so I'm very good with the pregnant silence and knowing if that's a good pregnant silence or a bad one. Um, I'm also good at reading grumpy Newington resting face, which is another thing as well. Um, been on the other side of the table of that. They've got different ones. Uh, but I was actually on the phone and so I couldn't read the face. But I did say, hey, Josh, here's where I'm going, in all seriousness, doing theology in front of people. Um, we'll talk about that a bit later. Is, is a bit, and I wanted to sort of check. He's our teaching pastor and say, Emma, is this, this hang together? Can I do this? Can I say this? Um, silence. Uh, some words. It's like, yep, that's good. That's, I've, I've got the tick there. But one of the things I want to talk about this morning is to put on the table... Um, something that I think is actually very useful for you and your individual lives. It's a bit of an inventory, a spiritual inventory. So that's where we're going. Um, we've been doing this series on the big reveal and throughout it all, I've been really, pro probably for all, it's crystallised in the last couple of weeks and you might have heard me even uh, sort of touch on these themes. The idea of what's the environment for faith that is both fruitful uh, and, and also resilient. We find here in Revelation, John is writing to a church that's very, very fragile. The more we understand the history of the time and where the church was at, it was so fragile and literally there was like spiritual um, superpower uh, of the culture, which was the the, the Pharisees and the, the Jewish religious leaders, and then the political, geopolitical superpower of the world, Rome, was bearing in on this relatively small group of Christians and wanting to see, both sides wanting to see them eliminated. And Revelation is written into and what was at the start of a very significant period of persecution. And yet the, the church, very fragile, not only survived not only was resilient, but it became so fruitful that in an incredibly short space of time, to the point where secular historians wonder about what is going on there, to explain this without God is quite challenging because in a very short space of time, that very fragile group became so fruitful that, think of it this way, here's one way, that it literally made sense to split time in half. It made sense to the whole culture to say, yeah, well, given what's happened, we should think about time 
and history as everything before Jesus and everything after. That's phenomenal. How did that happen? And that, that thought about what resilient and fruitful faith, and Joan, if you could flash up my PowerPoint. What is, how do we be both resilient in our faith and fruitful? Um, because, uh, you know, I think we all can see pictures and, and have people around us that are models to us of, say, resilient faith. I grew up in a church where um, I think of people in my life who had walked with Jesus and identified as Christians and clearly the sense of resilience, the stoicism of their faith. I didn't realise at the time but was imprinting something powerful to me. But they sure didn't look like they were enjoying it very much. They were, you know, solid and stoic and maybe some of you grew up in environments like this and maybe some of you feel like, don't look at anyone else, please, in the room, eyes front. But the resilience there, but sort of fruitful. When I use that word fruitful this morning, I'm, I'm talking about an inner fruitfulness as well as an ex- sort of an, ex- an exterior fruitfulness. That it's, it's good for flourishing and for life inwardly, but also outwardly. Now think of someone you know or think back to the time when you first made your genuine commitment to Jesus. Isn't it great to be around new Christians? Oh, their lives are so fruitful, right? They, there's the, literally the fruit of the Spirit, the joy, the peace, the, the kindness, the, all of that stuff is flowing out. And it's also, it's been, it's such a truism studies have demonstrated time and time again that it's new Christians are most effective at sharing their faith. So, so fruitful. But now all of us could probably, if you've been around for a while, all of us could name people who were incredibly fruitful for a short period of time, but the resilience, maybe they've fallen away. It's tragic. I, I can think of so many people at that time in my life when I was sort of 18 and made that commitment that you start walking and 15 years down the track, 20, you kind of go, where did all those guys? We were sort of, you know, we're going to give our lives to the Lord and you know, all those bold. So imagine if we could get resilience and fruitfulness together. Well, there's actually plenty of people I'm looking at here who are wonderful exemplars. But as a pastor, and um, for this church, who cares, and as a father, um, as a youth pastor, that idea of what's the environment or conditions or elements that, make, that foster a resilient and fruitful faith? And I think now more than ever, we're recognising we need to think of that. So this morning what I want to do is to put to you, like I said, I'm going to do a bit of theology here. So you won't find this chapter and verse. This is like a framework. Now, I'm reasonably confident this is good. This hangs together. Um, And if it works really well this morning, uh, you can buy my book. Maybe down the track. Carl Worthard by Joshua Resting, Grumpy Resting Face, uh, Newington. Um, no, in all seriousness, I'm actually not. I, I think this is useful to explain because as I've thought about this and talked, uh, there, there's, there's common conversations that we've been having in time that's very important for us as a church. Um, who here started something before COVID and had to put it down during COVID? And it's like, it was sort of had projects or things on the go and then it sort of didn't make sense to do that. I'm the only one. Okay, maybe this is saying more about me then. Okay, fine. Let's imagine you all put your hand up. 
and you felt like you needed to re... Thank you, Alan. I see that hand. Uh, um, we at Cornerstone were going through a really significant series. We were sort of a, a period. We were about a year or so into the most significant shift as a church, and that was this church was um, planted and had been led by our founding pastor for 26 years. And it's the first time ever we'd had a new pastor, some new guy who came along who was also an old guy, but also the new guy. And so we were about a year into a very significant shift. And then COVID hit and it kind of, we, we parked some things that we're now re-engaging with, shaping the church. Now that we sort of have this sense in which we're walking towards our future with a little bit more confidence and sense of the future. So we're re-engaging with some things. And I realise how often as we're talking, we're coming back to some very similar themes in a way that's always been about cornerstone, but in a way it seems more important than ever for us to be like this. And so that's what I'm referring to. Okay, let's jump into this idea. See how we go. See if I can bring out um, your inner grumpy resting face. I'll know if, okay, this is not flying. Uh, Axe the book. We'll see how we go. As it turns out, the idea, just to show I am going to reference this with Scripture, the idea of resilience and fruitfulness being linked is not my idea. It's actually embedded deep in Scripture. These are the words of Jesus in John 15. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. There we have the connection between persevering, walking the journey, um, the the, uh, the idea of discipleship is along obedience in the same direction. That's Eugene Peterson, uh, well-known. He was the, the author of the message. And he defined discipleship as along obedience in the same direction. That idea of continuing to walk out what you say you believe. And out of that, Jesus says, you do that. Well, he says, if you don't do that, don't expect fruitfulness in your life and again we're using a really holistic term it's just not about how many people you live lead to Christ or some ministry that you lead or make some big impact it's actually inwardly and I would suggest that's much more important of where you start if you are inwardly fruitful and flourishing then it's almost like you can't stop having an impact on the world Um, so we've got this connection of of uh, fruitfulness and resilience and I think we've talked a lot also, if you've been paying attention over the last couple of years, we've talked a lot about how we are in a time where slowly, perhaps imperceptibly, but now clearly, the headwinds that blow against people of faith, and particularly in sort of what we refer to as the West, that it is increasingly a more hostile environment for people who identify as followers of of Christian, where there was a time where actually we now look back and recognise we maybe had a privileged position um, that maybe wasn't even necessarily ours to take, but we took it. Uh, where now we don't have a privileged position. Uh, the idea is you can't just say the Bible said so and expect that people are going to go, oh, okay, right, well then we should, we should definitely listen. So there are some challenges, headwinds, where resilience in faith is really important, as well as fruitfulness. So, I am going to use a, um, a metaphor, a picture here, that is very familiar, and that is one of a stool. Now, before we go any further, 
I spent a ridiculous amount of time looking for the right stool to represent Cornerstone, so I'd just like us to all an embarrassing amount of time. Uh, so I'd like us to all just acknowledge the stool. Rugged, individual, bespoke, but sturdy. Is that us? Is that, is that not us in a stool? Steve, I needed more passion than, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. As I look, I realise there might actually be a fourth leg behind there. So I spent a long time, but not long enough. Imagine that there's no shadow of a fourth leg there, which would then make it structurally unsound. And the whole thing is now falling apart in front of me as we do that. Imagine that's a stool. Noel, you've probably made a stool like that before, have you? Could you make that stool? You could. You could, but why would you? Okay, moving on. Wonderful stool. I want to uh, suggest to you that the, the context for us as a community of faith, but also for your own life, developing resilience and fruitfulness. There's three kind of elements, three legs to a four-legged chair. That's going to really play with my mind now. One is liturgy. Now, straight away, some of you are going to have a reaction to this. I'm going to unpack it in a little bit, but I'm going to use um, liturgy. The word literally means the work of the people. And the way I want us to understand this is the way in which it's been understood historically across faith. Uh, not the way in which, depending on which stream of faith you grew up in, where you've had a reaction to because you've been subject to it or because you've been a part of another movement that was grew up realising that's bad and that's what we don't do that. I want to sort of elevate the idea and think about it, about engaging in spiritual rhythms and disciplines in a way that frames life. That's what liturgy in its best sense does. And here's the news in a room full of people and I'm the first of the line who proudly identifies being Pentecostal. We all have liturgy. We all do that. Some are more complex, some are more intentional, but it's all there. There are all patterns. This is what we do as humans. And it's important to be intentional about the patterns, uh, the spiritual rhythms and disciplines that frame your life. There's another thing, truth. I'm not sure if this is the right heading. This might not make the book, but we'll find out. The idea of wrestling with the truth claims of Scripture in a way that filters all other truth claims. Now, there probably would have been a time where I would have said and gone straight to saying something like, uh, you need to be a, a person of the Word or the Word of God. And just putting up there, because we believe, uh, this is the time where I wish I had a better looking Bible than my phone. Um, in here is some data that contains the Bible. And the reason we are people, and in this church, we always continue to come back to the Word, is because we actually believe that in it are some claims that God has revealed himself and some claims, not just about rules for living, and sometimes we sort of have this sort of casual way of saying, oh, it's like the instruction manual for life. That's kind of true, but it's so much more. In the narrative arc of Scripture reveals who God is, who you are in view of who God is and how life is to be lived for flourishing. Again, not just enduring but for flourishing. And as we wrestle and, and look to uncover the gems of truth because they're there, it's, we believe it's ultimate truth. And because it's ultimate truth, 
we then actually filter because there's lots of other claims that people say are true about how life should be lived and who you are and who God is or isn't. And so a resilient faith in particular, but also a fruitful faith, takes seriously wrestling with truth. We'll talk a little bit more. And then the last one is, that I've got is encounter. Experiencing God, I've used the word viscerally and tangibly. Um, it's like those moments where we go, oh, wow. Oh, wow. God's real. Or sometimes, oh, wow. God's real. It has an experience of God that is not necessarily intellectual. It's not necessarily out of habit. It's just like God turns up and it moves you. And it might just mean in the moment to put your hand up or to cry. Or it might move you to quit your job and do something completely different. But the encounter with God that is so real, no one's going to argue. No one's going to argue out of that experience of God. The encounter. What I'm saying and suggesting and putting on the table here is that all three of these things working together covers the breadth of faith and actually need to be active that, just as I will talk about in a moment, how we continue to be very active and intentional about making room at Cornerstone for these three things to happen. I want to suggest so too should you be intentional and reflective that it's a useful way of you reflecting in your own life perhaps if you're not feeling particularly resilient or particularly fruitful or a mixture of both that actually it's a good way like I said before doing a bit of an inventory maybe maybe I need to turn up the dial on something here let's unpack how are we going so far all right Making this good. Oh, I got a big thumbs up from Liz, so I'm happy with that. Liz, you need to get together with this guy about what, you know, nonverbal response looks like. If you could, just kidding. I love his nonverbal response. Was there just a drip that came down? Is everyone watching a drip down there? Did you see that? No, that was. I just had an encounter. It wasn't exactly gold dust, but something fell from the ceiling there. Okay, moving on. Um, let want to talk about liturgy. The idea of liturgy. I, pu- I put this up, this photo up before. Um, about the vine now that's passion fruit probably in the in the ancient world um, the most common when Jesus made that comment everyone would have they might have been even close to an an olives of kind of vines or they might have been close to grapes with the other ones I'm not sure do they have passion fruit in the uh, Middle East is that a thing I put up because it's actually Micah's favorite fruit Um, but I also saw this picture here uh, again, of passion fruit. And what you can see is what? is a trellis there. And actually the trellis is the thing that gives the vine shape. And so, it, and th- this was present in sort of agricultural methods right back to the ancient world that if you were, if you had a vine, you would provide some sort of framework and shape for it to grow in a certain direction. Um, if you've been to the Newington's, House, I, I love this. You go up, um, is that, that's passion fruit, isn't it? So um, I assume it was Sherilyn, could have been Josh, probably Sherilyn, is growing passion fruit. But what they've done is they're using their whole front f- steps as the trellis. And so it's, you kind of feel like you're entering a magical garden. 
and with four kids under eight inside, it's always a magical garden inside. But it's, there's a trellis there that's shaping the way this grows. There's an intentionality to it to say, if we just let this go, it's going to get out of control and that will affect its fruitfulness. And this, I think, is actually a great framework for what liturgy does in our life, whether you realise you have it, whether you are intentional or unintentional about it. It also is a great, in the, the way in which uh, nature constantly reveals and speaks to us of the nature of the creator, so we can sort of learn so many things, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the natural world. Um, so the idea of liturgy here, and like I said, you, you may be you may be not... For, who grew up in a church where you could remember a very intentional, clear... Or been to a church where you can... A very intentional and clear liturgy, a way in which the worship service was conducted with a sense of order. We tend to associate it with the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church. Um, I grew up in the Uniting Church, which harked back to the... Um, the Wesleyan, the Methodist church, the idea of the method there. Um, there's a way of, of doing church when we come together corporately. And again, it was one of those things growing up, I didn't realise the fruit that was going on in me. For the, and it was a church w- which were considered fairly sort of low or casual about its liturgy. But however, impressed in me was this idea that in a service we'll have a prayer of adoration, which is us saying, God, you're great. And we'll have a prayer of thanksgiving where we'll be intentional about saying, God, thanks for these things. We'll have a prayer of supplication. God, there's these things going on in the world. Could you do something about it? We'll have a prayer of confession because we'll say, God, we fall short. We're so sorry. Thank you for your grace. We'll end with a blessing. We'll have a sermon. And in that very simple liturgy, it covers really important territory that reminds people who are intentionally sort of subjecting themselves to it who God is and who we are. Liturgy is really powerful. Um, We have a form of liturgy. Pentecostalism, the the movement of Pentecostalism, started in some ways as a reaction to a formless or to a... um, I'm trying to find the right word. Um, Maybe a a liturgy or the, the evidence of liturgy that had lost its sense of encounter. And so Pentecostalism, and there's other movements, the charismatic movement, was this idea of let's be completely free and open. And it only took us about 50 or 60 years to then develop our own very clear liturgy, but not call it that. Because that's what humans do. Because if you let a vine go, it will find a trestle. It'll make a trestle of a, t- of a tree. It'll make a trestle of something. That's the way it works. So this is about saying you and we need some intentionality about the rhythms and practices. It's really interesting, if we come off the back of Easter, every year um, we lean into some of the liturgy, not so much of the, uh, of the corporate meeting like that, but when we lean into some of the practices and traditions that for thousands of years, because the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church, for whatever you might think is wrong or right or whatever about them, they have been stewards of faith for not a hundred years but thousands of years and they're still here they're doing something right and so much of that is their resolve to say you know what we're going to make sure we preserve these things that remind us who we are and who God is 
And we might criticise them, I might even disagree with some of them. But the idea of liturgy that says, you know what, every year as we go into Easter, this is really important, we should be really intentional about how we prepare so we can, we can encounter the crucified and resurrected Christ anew and afresh. That seems really important. Let's call it Lent. And so we have become more and more intentional about that. And every year, the feedback I get from people who so appreciate the intentionality. And so we've become increasingly intentional on Palm Sunday and then the Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. And we're adding, that's all, that's not new. We're borrowing stuff. We're just learning and borrowing, saying, this trestling is really good. And we're trying to find our way of doing that. 21st century, Pentecostal, kind of in this church, but boy, is it rich. And so to let you know, we're going to, we've been doing that for a while. Let you know a secret, we've actually got, we're we're borrowing from liturgy there because it's really important. And we're going to continue to find ways of doing that and expressing that in a new and fresh way because it seems to be really working. What do you know? Everything old's new again. What's the rhythm and practices in your life? What's the trestling in your life that says this vine's going to grow in that direction and be shaped by this form? Because otherwise it's, it'll grow wild. And things that grow wild eventually have, you know, was, oh, I'm, I'm not going to pretend I'm a gardener. I don't know where I was going with that. Got in way too deep. Move on. That won't be in the book. Okay, I just did some editing. That won't be in the book. Encounter. This is the one where Pentecostals, I'm proudly Pentecostal. I grew up in, in a different environment. It is absolutely theologically, I feel most aligned to call myself Pentecostal, not necessarily by culture, certainly by theology. And at the, at, at the very core of the Pentecostal experience was like a returning of the, the, the belief, and, and often it's referred to the dunamis power of God. Dunamis is a Greek word where we get the word dynamite from, dynamic. It's like things can happen, wow, really quickly. And that seemed to be what happened at the beginning of Acts. And why, they, why on earth can't that happen now and in us? Because actually when that happened in the beginning of Acts, that was like the rocket fuel for the church. That seemed really important. And so there was like a, a, a recovery a restoration of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in the life of... Now, that's not saying that other churches and throughout history didn't have evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's silly. That's not true. If anyone tells you that as though Pentecostals are anyone, that's ridiculous. However, there was a thing that says in this movement, this is really important. And 100 years down the track, actually what we find... If I go back to some of the churches I grew up in, in the movement I grew up in, what do you know? I find that they're actually worshipping in a way that has much more space for encounter. It's actually flowed out in the same way that we're maybe looking for those churches that have a liturgical past to flow into us. There's been a flowing out, and that's great. Can it be, can you take this too far? Absolutely. It's, it's by definition subject. So when we create space to do that thing before, where we're just going to open it up, what we're saying is in this moment, we'd like to be subject to the Spirit of God because we believe something can happen here, right now in you. We'd like to be subject to God. Can you be subject to your own self in those moments? Absolutely. Which is why we want to come back to having some trestling and we want to continue to engage with truth. But is it important for your fruitfulness, for you to have experiences 
regularly that remind you God is real and powerful and able to shift things in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Truth. So this is the one that feels um, I'm not really important. And, and actually, I feel like at the moment, as a church at Cornerstone, we spend a lot of time trying to find ways to do this. What we're starting tonight is an example of us trying to shape the church to do this because it fits, feels really important right now. Our worship nights, by the way, that's us shaping the church that every month on a Sunday night, we're going to invite you to come and it's just all about encounter where the worship team will lead in a way that's different. To It'll be longer, it'll be different. We do some worship here, but the whole point of that is to say we really want an encounter to happen here in a significant way. So we shape the church that way. I gave you examples of the way in which we shape the church around Easter and Advent, around liturgy. This is about recognising that in Scripture, God reveals himself and that we believe, I believe that as God reveals himself, so too we will be revealed and life will be revealed. The more we can understand the truth claims in Scripture, the more we can understand the world as it's meant to be. However, here's the great challenge, that actually we then go and look to outwork that in a world that has very different truth claims. And so the idea is that we're looking to engage in truth and wrestle with it because it's complex. It's difficult. We're doing revelation, right? <laughs> there's, some bit, there's actually some bits I've gone backwards in. I thought I understood it, and I feel like I understood it less, but it feels like I'm actually in a better place. That's weird. How does that work? That I'm less sure about something, but I feel like I'm closer to truth now. That's wrestle. And so it's so critical we have this space where people can give voice to that, I guarantee if, if the senior pastor in some churches and maybe even historically a lot of churches voiced what I just voiced then, crisis in the pew because I'm meant to have it all sorted out. Well, that's scary. If my brain can have it all sorted out, all I'm doing is minimizing faith and minimizing God. It's endlessly. We, we, we're going to spend a lifetime sorting this out and wrestling with it. And we'll actually get closer to fruitfulness and resilience when we can acknowledge that actually as much as what we want to do is to take truth of Scripture and use it as a filter to deal with the world, the other thing can happen where we can take the world and use it as a filter and read into Scripture. If you don't recognize that when you come to Scripture, you bring your own stuff and you're reading stuff into Scripture, if you think, and we've talked about this, that that you're some sort of um, just like a USB stick where God will just download stuff to you unfiltered, well, that's actually the most dangerous position to be in Scripture, coming to Scripture, because God is going to reveal truth to you. So tonight, Josh talked about, uh, as we gather together, we're going to look at, um, can we trust the Bible? Spoiler alert, my answer is Yes. Spoiler alert, Josh is facilitating it. He thinks yes. So there are going to be some things that he will say and assert. But also, we're going to be, people are going to ask. There's some reasonable and good questions for you to ask so you can wrestle with it. Because, and I love this line, doubt is not toxic to faith. 
silence is. And so if we're going to build a group of people who are com- have a sense of confidence in walking into the world based on the truth revealed in Scripture, we've got to engage with it and wrestle with that in a way. And that's always been important in this church. And I so honour Charles for someone who probably does have the most amazing brain that I know, his humility when he comes to Scripture. To scripture. And the space he's always provided for us to be a people to wrestle with stuff. And that feels so more important than ever because I am so convinced that as we do that, God will reveal himself. It's not, it won't undermine your sense of confidence in who God is. It'll strengthen it. And so we continue to shape our church to do that, to ask hard questions, to provide a space with a sense of confidence, not in us, but in God. And that he, as much as we desire to know the answer to some really challenging stuff. I've got some big questions. I've got some doozies. I know they're not going to be fully answered this side of eternity. That's just mine to carry. But it doesn't undermine my sense of who God is in that. And that's even more comforting. Because I feel at this stage there's not a lot you can throw at me. Where I might not have a great answer. But it does not rock my sense of confidence in who God is. That's the kind of resilient faith. And confidence. And that's... You know why? Because I've had some encounters. You know why I've had some encounters? Because well, I've just chosen to put some scaffolding in my life where I just keep turning up to things that are important. To see how it works? Because they're not, they're not individual silos. They actually all bleed off each other. That liturgical church that I grew up in that I said was maybe struggling with people who demonstrated fruitfulness and and joy in their own life, you know what? I've had some of the most powerful experiences of God in that church. Uh, Here, in a church Pentecostal movement where we, you know, give space for God to turn up and go, wow, have been some of the deepest experiences of understanding the word. So, uh, again, imagine if we could do all of this. This is the goal. And then I want this morning, and as we close, I'm going to get the, the band to come up. Imagine if you start shaping your world. And I know I'm speaking to so many people who already do, but it's an opportunity to say, as much as we do that as a church, um, the choices you make in your own world around this are shaping us because all of those are actually experienced in community. This is God's plan A that's outworked in community. I had this flower, I had this picture before of faith. I can almost guarantee that picture's fake, right? Does anyone believe that picture was not created by someone on Instagram who wanted to, oh, this would be a great idea to kind of. This picture is true, though. That's Death Valley. There are certain conditions. It's called a super bloom. <laughs> How cool is that? Every now and then in Death Valley, one of the most inhospitable places to life on the planet, so much so they named it after it. Every now and then there's conditions where it comes alive, but it always comes alive collectively. Again, God imprints and reflects his nature in nature. So we can't do all of this without all of you. That's the context. We're going to finish with worship, uh, with communion now. And uh, this is a wonderful thing that it's so appropriate and fitting for us as we close to finish with this because 
what we have here is one of the most agreed upon bits of liturgy across all of the church. Should we do this regularly? Should this shape us? Absolutely. What we've got here is a, is a revelation that we see of who Jesus is as revealed in Scripture as well. And we do this in a way where we like to try and create a bit of space because we believe in this moment, as this comes together, is the opportunity for you to be, for you to encounter again Christ who died for you and Christ who rose for you. So there's an example of all of those three things coming together and it's, again, we shape ourselves around this. So I encourage you, come along tonight. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to have six weeks of wrestling with some pretty challenging context. There might be someone you want to bring along. I think it's going to be really shaping for us. Um, like I said, hopefully this is maybe helpful for you to understand why we do the things we do. But even more so, I encourage you to maybe do a bit of spiritual inventory. Are there things I need to be a little bit more intentional about? Turn up the volume of so that we together uh, we can have a super bloom. <laughs> Cornerstone would be a place of uh, fruitfulness and resilience. Let's, in your own time as we worship, I encourage you to take communion to pray and then Josh will come up soon to close off.